Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Blue. Want to get a handle on Edmonton's growing innovation scene? Take a listen to Blue, Taproot's newest podcast. Each week, hosts Karen Unland and Faiza Ramji will discuss the latest developments and efforts to solve new problems and diversify the economy. Find out who has innovated what, who is investing in whom, and what's on the horizon. Find Bloom wherever you listen to podcasts or visit bloom.taprootedmonton.ca. We're here at the end of another book. We did it. We did do it. (laughs) And Tibbets, if you were listening to the entire run of the podcast through your book, thank you for tuning in. I know you tuned in a couple times, at least, so that was very nice of you. Hopefully, thank you for putting out a book that we liked. Yes, quite a lot. Hopefully we didn't scare you off with little nitpicks or quibbles here and there. (laughs) I know as someone who has written things, albeit unpublished things, that it can be difficult to hear even constructive criticism sometimes. Not all of it is unpublished. Uh, mostly unpublished. Anyway, not the point. The point is, <laughs> <laughs> we're here at the end of another book, which means, once again, it's time to go full book club all over this and uh, announce our next novel. And yes. hopefully keep the episode down to a reasonable runtime and not blow through an hour like we have before in the past. Okay, that's the problem with the book club episodes, is that I really could talk for a long time about some of the books that we've done. Yeah. Most of the books that we've done, to be honest. Yeah. So we're going to try and keep it short-ish. So forgive us if this is a little truncated. I could go on longer, but we don't want to record for three hours. No. Uh, And that's kind of always been the the trick with these full analysis episodes, is to try to keep them to around our usual podcast length. Maybe a little longer, but not super long. Right. There's tons of stuff that have hit the cutting room floor in previous ones. So hopefully this one isn't so much of a problem. I apologize if my voice is a little scratchy. Um, our son has caught yet another cold. It's just been a nonstop litany of them all summer long. And of course, he thinks it's very funny to cough at me when I tell him not to do that because it could make me sick. So I'm pretty sure I've caught whatever he has. It's okay. We'll be all right. Yes. All right. Shall we get into this? I think we shall get into this. Our final analysis of Screams from the Void by Ann Tibbetts. All right. So I don't think I have to ask the super obvious question of did you like it? Yeah, I think I liked it. Because I I liked it. Yeah. You liked it. Yeah. It's not the my most favoritist thing that I've ever read, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Right? For sure. Good. Okay. So looking back at the whole book now, mm-hmm. what was your best and worst? What did you find the most satisfying? What did you find the most frustrating? What did you like? What did you hate? I don't think there's anything I specifically hated. Um, I will say, and I believe I had mentioned this in an earlier episode, I, I wish there had been a little bit more world building. And I realize that this book is very much about the characters and not so much the world. I get that. I, I see what Antibits is laying out for me here. But I, I wish there had been a little bit more explanations of how things worked, because I like that in my science fiction. That's just a personal preference, though. But it makes a lot of sense, though, right? Because a lot of what a character does 
is based on the environment that they're in. Yeah. Right? So you do need some world for the characters to be in. Oh, there's plenty of world. I just wish there had been more world. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if you don't give them enough world, yeah, right, then it's a little lackluster for your characters. Like, I wanted to learn more about the Space Corps, and I wanted to learn more about how the starship worked and stuff like that. And I, I realize that's not the focus of this novel. I get that. So, like, it's forgivable. It's just my personal preference. I would have liked to have seen more. Of fat that was probably trimmed, you would have liked some of it back? Yeah. <laughs> Quite possibly. It's super lean novel. Could have been a little <laughs> little more fatty. I agree. Could have been a little more fatty. I don't know if I would fatten it up the same way that you did. Fair enough. Well, and we'd also even talked last episode about maybe adding a little bit more for Pollux to do. Uh, agreed. Yeah. I still hold to that, that I would have liked a little more Pollux. There wasn't anything in this book that I found overly satisfying. Morvan getting his comeuppance in the end felt good. Finally defeating the Kepler felt good, but not in the, oh, yes, rawr, thank God, kind of way. In the, that was the end I thought we were coming to, but I didn't find it overly satisfying. And you know me, I hate, I hate loose threads yeah. dangling about. So, so you were a little unsatisfied. I was by the a end. little unsatisfied with the ending, but again, that's a personal thing. That is not. That's a highly subjective thing for me. Yeah. To have issue with. Uh, one thing I did like from a structural standpoint is going back in time, in the flashbacks, starting the flashbacks closer to the present and moving further and further back to the end of the book. I think that that really did give us a lot of good context for some of those earlier scenes that we were seeing in hindsight. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really smart decision. I, I quite enjoyed that. I'm glad you brought that up because that is actually the next question I have for us. Oh, perfect. Segway. Exactly. <laughs> so we have our main plot line going forward, mm -hmm. right? And this kind of sort of subplot going in reverse. Do you feel that the subplot really needed to go all the way back to the very beginning? Right? We're at the end of our horror plot at the same time we're at the very beginning of the relationship plot. I kind of think it does work, actually. Um, I kind of liked seeing where it all started juxtaposed with where it all ended because it, it shows such a stark contrast and it Both really does show the development stark. that Reyna has gone through. I, I thought that that was good. I quite liked it, actually. I'm not sure we needed to go all the way back to the very, very beginning. I agree. It does make a nice juxtaposition and it was, uh, it was nice to be able to see it. I don't know that I think it was entirely necessary. Um, I think that it creates a weird sort of nice conclusion to the flashbacks in a way. You think? Like we've come to the end of the story and at the same time we've also come to the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. it, it bookends itself in the same chapter in an interesting way. I, again, structurally, I quite liked it. Oh, no, I agree. Structurally, it was, it was interesting and it was fun to read. I'm just arguing that plot-wise, I don't know that it was entirely necessary because we do know how it starts. More or less, but based on the other flashbacks we had. But now we see how it starts. Again, <laughs> I suppose I, confirmation. I liked it. Okay, I agree. I agree. I liked it as well. <laughs> All right. Next question. Now that we've come to the very end, and you've had a little bit of time to digest the whole thing, mm -hmm. what has stuck with you? Like when I say "screams from the void," what what sticks in your mind? What what lives rent free from now on in your head? Probably the relationship dynamic between Reyna and Morvan. It felt very real. It was uh, well-developed. I thought they were both interesting characters, I think. And it really is the heart of the story. Oh, it, it so, really is. like, if I was recommending the book 
and someone wanted like a specific reason I should read this book, that would probably be my selling point. That there's an abusive relationship in it? That it's an interesting study in an abusive relationship in a high-stress situation. Oh, okay. Fair enough. The opening for me, our intro chapter where all of the characters die, that has stuck with me throughout the entire book. It definitely it's... sets the tone. Oh, it, it does. 100%. And I think I think it set the tone so strongly that it is cemented in my head forever. Especially the very end of it where it ends with like this screaming creature decapitating someone. That image is in my head like it's a movie forever. And that clip just plays over and over again. There you go. There we go. That's what's stuck in my head. Okay, <laughs> so we made references to it a bunch. And it's really, really obvious throughout this story that is very, very similar to Alien. Yeah. Right? There are a lot of running parallels between this story and that story. Well, Alien is very much the kind of archetypical haunted house horror story in space yeah. movie. Yeah. So anybody who's doing spaceship with a monster on it, hunting down the crew, is automatically going to be compared to Alien. So at that point, you might as well just kind of lean into it and pay homage. Yeah. Which, I, like I said before, I really feel she's doing. This isn't pastiche. This isn't copycat. This isn't a ripoff. This more feels like homage. Yeah. But... It's really obvious the parallels, especially if you've seen the movie. But let's talk about how it's different. What makes this stand apart? Like, what makes it homage as opposed to pastiche? Well, first of all, it's more of a character study than Alien. Yes. I would say that Alien is more uh, like a cosmic horror story about the event that's going on. Whereas this is very much a human story about Reyna and her dealing with the complicated relationship she has with Morvin in an alien situation. <laughs> in an alien, alien situation? Yes. Uh, I also liked the, I don't want to call it multiple protagonists, but I don't have a better word for it. Because in Alien, Ripley's the only one that survives. And in Screams, it's Reyna and Pollux. Right. So there's like a, a teamwork dynamic there. It's two women saving each other, even though they don't know it. I kind of wish there had been more of that. Me too. I, and maybe this ties back to wanting to have seen more Pollux. I wish that Pollux and Reyna could have worked together more in the end. Right. But that's a personal quibble. Um, the thing about the original Alien, like we know in hindsight, Ripley is the is the hero of Alien. But at the time, that was unclear. There was no obvious person who was good in fact if anything captain dallas was being set up to be the hero well yeah that's and then true. he dies like in act two <laughs> but that was deliberately set up so that there would be a question of oh no one might make it out alive and that ratchets up the tension so like again we know in hindsight ripley is the main character but at the time in the moment when the movie came out that was not so clear that's fair whereas in this novel it's very clear reina is the main character right from hop well, yeah. Well, because it's a point of view story, right? Yeah. We get very few scenes that aren't inside either Reyna or Pollux's head. Yeah. Right? It's harder to do that in a movie unless you just follow around one person the whole time, which isn't always interesting because there's other things you need to show. Fundamentally, I think that's the key difference between Alien and Screams from the Void. Is that one is based on relationships and one is based on situation? Yeah. I agree with that. One's, one's a character piece and one's fundamentally not a character piece. Not that it doesn't have good characters, just that's not what the focus of that story is. That's true. Their arc is more like, I'm going to survive, as opposed to, I need to become a better, different person. And also survive. And also survive. Yeah, that is also a thing. 
it all comes back to we wish there was more Pollux. Because Pollux is a, a well-developed character and well-defined and quite deep. There's just not enough of her. Yeah, Pollux spends a section of the first part of the book asleep and a great span of the second half of the book unconscious. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The hints of her here and there were nice. I think I was looking for more of like a buddy-buddy thing, I guess. Based on the blurb on the back of the book, I think maybe I was also expecting that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've either been led astray by the blurb (laughs) or, I don't know, maybe I just wanted something different. Either way. Not that what we got wasn't good. No, it was good. Yeah. I, feel, I don't know why I keep having, I feel the need to justify it. I liked it. It was good. Here are a bunch of criticisms, but I liked it. It was good. And we've said this before. You can have valid criticisms for something you really enjoy. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about our A and B plots as they run together, right? Okay. So our A plot is this blatant horror story being hunted by a crazy, murdery monster alien. Mm-hmm. Ah, scary, scary, run, we're all going to die. And that particular plot is kind of fantastical because one is not normally hunted by a very scary alien in one's daily life. But there's this secondary plot. I I almost don't want to call it a subplot because it is very like front facing. I would actually go so far as to say that the that the B plot is the alien monster killing people on the ship <laughs> and that the A plot is Reyna and Morvan's uh, abusive relationship. Abusive relationship, yeah. Right? It could be Right? So we have two plots, plot star and plot uh, diamond, (laughs) to make them equal, I guess. Uh, But there is something that is scarier about this relationship plot because it's a little more grounded in reality. And for some people, it is their reality. This abusive relationship that is between two human beings. I would argue that it's also made tenser and scarier because of the dangerous situation there. Oh, absolutely. They they fully feed into each other. Because Reyna can never be sure when Morvin is trying to help her and when he's trying to hinder her. Yes. And more often than not, he sabotages her. Oh, 100%. And all for very selfish, selfish reasons. Mm-hmm. So he's arguably, throughout the book, more dangerous than the Kepler. The Kepler is more lethal than Morvin. But Morvin, personally to Reyna, far more dangerous. Yes. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I think that's why why this book got so scary is because Reyna, our main point of view character, is always surrounded by something terrifying, right? It's either her abusive boyfriend or, well, I suppose her terrible working conditions aren't terrifying. They're just bad. But then there's this monster after her as well. Like the stress on a person <laughs> from any of these situations is just mind blowing. I think the book uh, does really good with the tension as well, because especially as it's building toward the final chapter, it constantly seems like one thing after another is making things more and more impossible for Reina. Yes. Part of that is the Kepler and part of that is the ship and part of that is Morvin. Like it's just, it's one bad thing after another. Right. It it all ultimately resolves itself very well. Right. It's uh, it's why her arc is so strong, I think, because she's got a constant list of things to overcome and the things she has to overcome just keep getting bigger and badder as it goes. Right. OK, she has to deal with this terrible boss and this horrible job. And now she has to deal with this horrible boyfriend and this abusive relationship. And now she has to deal with a monster who's out to kill her. And then her boyfriend becomes a serial killer. And like, it's just... 
mounting and mounting and mounting and mounting. And at last she overcomes all of this. And it's fantastic for her. It's it's a really a great story of character strength. Yeah. Right? Strength from adversity, that kind of thing. This is like peak example of that. Well, and it's very much against adversity because, again, Reyna throughout the novel is acting very rationally, more so than probably any other character. Even Pollux, because Pollux is degenerating over the course of the book because of alien itch. But well, And previously established mental issues. Yeah. But then to see Reyna acting rationally and seeing the people around her falling apart and making irrational decisions, mm-hmm. purposefully irrational decisions in some cases, like seeing Tamsin being unable to hold it together, seeing Avram degenerating because of his allergies, right? seeing Niall be indecisive about stuff because he doesn't want to be a boss and seeing Morvan actively working against the rest of the group every step of the way, you can feel Raina's frustration. Oh, yeah. Her just mounting frustration with everybody. Yes. Yeah. Which, oddly enough, I think is a parallel to Alien because Ripley is the one behaving in everyone's best interests, whereas everyone else is behaving in their own interest. Kind of, yeah. I read a great analysis of it online it was like no one listens to the smart woman so everyone else dies except for the woman and her cat well the ship's cat but not the plot of right. alien like yeah. listen to the smart woman and reina is clearly our smart woman character yeah right she's so. smarter than almost everybody on board that's exactly. established early on <laughs> yes <sighs> so there that's that's all i have for questions because i don't want to talk about morvan anymore i've complained about him through this whole series about how awful he is and i'm done yeah and again we want to try to keep it a little shorter so. yes exactly uh, is there anything else you wanted to bring up that you wanted to talk about in this book? Well, I think really the only thing left to really talk about in this book is to go into your favorite part. <laughs> oh, movie casting. Cast that movie. So I will say I would, uh, if I was making this movie right off the top, it would be using a lot of practical effects. I'd do an alien and have them build a set. I'd do as much of the Kepler practically as possible so that the characters have something to physically interact with. Yeah. Um, There's going to be some times where you're going to have to do some digital stuff, especially when it's camouflaged. I accept that. But I've said it before on this podcast. I'm a fan of practical effects. I've also said it before on my other podcast. (laughs) I have some notes where I talk about mediocre movies. Yes. I'm a big fan of practical effects. And because the, uh, the space is so limited, with the exception of right at the beginning, And that could easily be dealt with. Most of the action takes place aboard the ship. You could build the ship as a set. Oh, I would 100% build a ship as a set. And I agree with you. I am also a big fan of practical effects, partially because I have a somewhat theatrical background and prop building is a lot of fun. Yeah. Building an alien would be great. Outside of that, obviously, casting. Yes. So I've only cast kind of the three key characters, mostly because there there are a lot of characters. I could cast the whole thing, but that would take a very long time. Yeah. I cast four characters, but only because right from Hop, I had a picture of someone in my mind okay. for one of the minor characters. And I Fair just enough. wanted to bring it up. Sure. Well, let's start with our big three and then I'll throw it out as an honorable mention. Sure. How about you go first? Okay. I think I went first last time. It's not that I specifically want a specific actor in any role. But I do want to cast to type. So my Reina, I wanted someone who could pull off both meek and strong kind of simultaneously. I made a a similar casting choice, yeah. Right? Someone who could be dominated by their Morvan and yet stand up to him later on, right? That That kind of dynamic. 
Yep. And I went with Lupita Nyong'o. Good choice. Right? Great actor. She's fantastic. Yeah. Very fond of her. I think she could pull off that whole strong woman feel that we were talking about earlier. I did cast someone white for my Reina. That's fine. Uh, I cast Natalia Dyer. Uh, she's 27. So I was thinking right mid, to late, mi- mid to late 20s for Reina. Yeah. Right she's age Nancy age. from Stranger Things. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I had um, trouble picturing her in my head, but yeah, yeah, okay. And I'm not saying that Reina couldn't be any ethnicity. Um, she absolutely could. I just defaulted to white that's for her. The, that's the thing about a space corps. Yeah. Right? Everybody and anybody. Natalia Dyer is also physically slight. She's a skinny girl. That's true. She's about five foot four. Uh, she has experience in the horror genre, which was also a consideration, and I think she'd do a good job with it. Yeah. I know. I think you're right. Yeah. So to cast opposite her mm-hmm. in Morven, I went with 30-year-old Alexander Ludwig. Alexander Ludwig. He... Why do plays, I know who that is? He plays Cato in the Hunger Games, and he's Bjorn Ironside in Vikings. So he is white. He's blonde-haired, blue-eyed, <laughs> and Morvin has to be a white guy. Oh, 100% Morvin has to be a white guy. He's handsome. He's he's he can We can buff him up a little bit, and he's already like got a nice big frame. He's almost a foot taller than Natalia Dyer. And those were all considerations. I mean, he's a good actor. So I think that he would be a very good Morvin, and I think he would be very physically intimidating. Yes. That was something I wanted in Morven, for sure, is you need someone very charming, Mm -hmm. very attractive, Mm -hmm. and very intimidating. Alexander Ludwig. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I I personally would go, if I were to, like, construct an actor to play Morven using bits and pieces of other actors, I would want someone with the physique of, uh, like, like a Channing Tatum. Oh, I I would right? I was thinking like a like one of the Hemsworth brothers. Oh yeah, or, just, or a Hemsworth. But yes. I just th- I thought Liam Hemsworth was a little too old, which is fair. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but you want someone like broad shouldered. Oh yeah, uh, fairly cut. Oh yeah, right. But I would not cast Channing Tatum because he's too nice. Also, again, probably a little too old for Morvin. Quite possibly. So this is me casting to type because I I want combinations of these two actors, Charlie Hunnam. And Zac Efron. I want someone, like I said, attractive, very charming, but who can be very intimidating, right? Who's not afraid to be the scary. Yeah. Right? And I think either one of them could pull it off. And if I could somehow mash them together into one, like, uber actor for this role, that would be great. But I, I like agree. The, the white male privilege that drips off of Morvan. Oh, yeah. of, of all of the cast members on this crew, he is the only person who has to be white. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because that white male privilege is, like, palpable. Yeah. Um, my Pollux, I wanted someone a little bit older. Not a lot, just a little bit to give you that, that edge of experience, right? Because that's very much the impression I get from Pollux. Older and kind of done with it. And I went with Jessica Chastain, or at least in that type. Okay, good actor. Right? Nice choice. I quite like her. Yeah. Who could pull off the, like, I'm done with this. I've experienced this. Do not mess with me. That's the vibe I want. I kind of have a similar vibe, but I didn't cast a white person for Pollux. That's fine. (laughs) The fewer white people on this ship, the better. I went with America Ferreira. Okay. She's 38. Uh, She played Ugly Betty. Betty and Ugly Betty. Yeah, the Betty and Ugly Betty. Yeah. She's older than Morvan Arena, which I think works the same as your Jessica Chastain yes, yes. choice. Give her a really severe haircut. I think she'd look great in the role. <laughs> she's also, she's five foot one, 
which makes her shorter than even Reyna. And for some reason in my brain, that so works for Pollux. She's this, <laughs> she's this little, fiercely intense person. And I, I just really like the idea of her like leaping out of some foliage and You're smacking like, ah! Morvin in the head. When I was kind of looking through some casting ideas, I came a- across her and I was like, yes, I don't even need to look for anybody else. That's perfect. In my brain, it instantly clicked. And I, I loved it from there. Beautiful. So that, that's my choice for Pollux. I like it. Um, the honorable mention, because I pictured him almost immediately in my head, was Osric. I have a casting, I have a casting for Osric, an actor named Graham Beckel. If you watched the Battlestar Galactica TV series... The remake, not the The remake, not the original, the remake. He played the Admiral's second-in-command, and he was a horrible human being. Uh, You mean the Admiral on board the Pegasus? Yes. Yeah. The Pegasus, yes, thank you. Couldn't remember the character name? Played by Anson Rowe. Yes, exactly. Except not her. (laughs) Her (laughs) second-in-command was an actor by the name of Graham Beckel, and he has that angry old man in charge energy that I a thousand percent give to Osric. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I didn't put much thought into Osric, so I don't have a count. No, that's okay. But it's because when we first read about Osric, basically his face popped in to my head. Sometimes uh, you're reading a book and you ought, your brain casts someone in a role. Yes. And then it just sticks. I've done that before. Absolutely. Yep, that's exactly what happened. I had a, a sharp image of Osric, and it stayed there the whole book. <laughs> well, there you go. We've cast that movie. Yeah, we did So it. I, I think it's safe to say we've come to the end of Screams from the Void by Ann Tibbetts. We have. A very enjoyable book from a good author. Yeah, a lot of good scary stuff in it. Yeah. If you've binged this book with us or listened along week to week. Thank you for sticking around. Maybe maybe give yourself a break. <laughs> yeah, but not too much of a break because we've got a new book. We do! Uh, we put up a Twitter poll to ask for a genre. The genre that won was fantasy. So we went and picked something out of the fantasy aisle, which interestingly has a recommendation on the back from Monty Cook, who is actually a friend of mine. <laughs> yes! Love ours. I pushed him down once. That's true. So, uh, That's I mean, a whole separate story for a whole separate podcast. If award winning game designer Monty Cook is going to give a recommendation, uh, we're definitely going to pay attention to it. 100%. Anita, what's the next novel? Here it is, everybody our new book blurb. You find yourself in a maze full of twisty passages. Literature professor Dr. Addie Cox is living a happy, if sheltered, life in her ivory tower when Harris Lang, the famously eccentric billionaire tech genius, offers her an unusual job. He wants her to guide a mercenary strike team sent to infiltrate his island retreat off the northwest coast of the United States. Addie is puzzled by her role on the mission until she understands what Lang has built. Insula Mirabilis, an isolated resort where tourists will one day pay big bucks for a convincing high-tech powered fantasy world experience complete with dragons unicorns and yes magic unfortunately one of the island's employees has gone rogue and activated an invisible force field that has cut off all outside communication a coast guard cutter attempting to pass through this shield has been destroyed suspicion rests on dominic brand the project's head designer and addie cox's ex-boyfriend lang has tasked addie and the mercenary team with taking back control of the island at any cost but Addie is wrestling with demons of her own, and not the fantastical kind. Now she must navigate the deadly traps of Insula Mirabilis, as well as her own past trauma. And no D20, however lucky, can help Addie make this saving throw. 
It is a nerd book for nerds, and we're going to read it, and I'm excited. It's called... Questland, a novel by Carrie Vaughn. That'll be our next novel. You'll want to grab yourself a copy. It should be readily available at your local bookstore or on your favorite e-reader. You'll want to pick it up and read up on chapter one in time for next week because we're going right into it. There is a D20 on the cover, everybody. I'm so excited. Some sort of fantasy Jurassic Park. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. And another story with an ex-boyfriend. So just back to backing that. (laughs) (sighs) Look, sometimes you just can't get rid of an ex. It's true. So yeah, that's what you'll want to read up on in time for next week. And in the meantime, I mean, Alberta Blue Cross. (laughs) We heart them and they heart us back. They heart us back. And so here is a little ad for them. This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device. That makes it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Alberta Blue Cross. Being with us every episode. <laughs> yeah. At least for the last little bit. Um, Yeah. And thank you, as always, for joining us on yet another reading adventure. And hopefully you'll stick around for the next one. I'm excited for the next one. Yeah. You can learn more about our podcast, other podcasts, and the various sponsors of the Alberta Podcast Network at albertapodcastnetwork.com. If you find another podcast you like, you can download it on your podcatcher of choice. It's probably where you're downloading our pod. Well, that just makes sense. So you can uh, definitely give us a little rating and a review. Oh, we'd really like that. That'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, You can also reach out to us via social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of those. You can also send us an email. Yes, we are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. New books. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.